Who are the real people we consider our sages? Who were they in life? What is the legacy they left us? Join Rabbi Danny Saxton for the next hour as he explores the lives of our Torah giants, the spiritual geniuses who shaped the way we approach Judaism today. That's Focus on Our Sages right now on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to Soul to Soul. It's wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. We find ourselves in the month of Tammuz and we today's date is the 20th of Tammuz. Um, and from Sunday, Sunday was Shiva Asaba Tammuz, the 17th of Tammuz. We've now entered into what's called the three weeks. The three weeks are a time of mourning for the Jewish people. They're also known as Bain Hamatsarim, between the constraints. So we start the three weeks with the fast of the 17th of Tammuz, which was on Sunday. And the three weeks continue all the way through to Tisha B'Av, which is on Sunday the 18th of July. Um, and it's also a fast day. Tisha B'Av, as we know, is a fast day. And this time, these three weeks have not been a time of good muzzle, of good fortune for the Jewish people throughout the ages, throughout our turbulent history. Starting with the 17th of Tammuz, there were a number of five calamities happened to the Jewish people in that day. And we found throughout Jewish history that very often um, when disasters have struck and when tragedies have beset the Jewish people, they are during this time. And in particular, the nine days leading up to Tisha B'Av and Tisha B'Av itself. Um, so let's start out with uh, what happened on Shiva Asaba Tammuz, on the 17th of Tammuz. So our sages tell us that five things occurred on this day, five bad things happened to Jewish people on this day. The first one is that's the day when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and saw the Jewish people dancing around the Cheta Eagle, the golden calf, the, the eagle, it's the sin of the golden calf. So that happened on this day, this on which was Sunday, 17th of Tammuz. That was the first um, bad event and tragedy that took place on the 17th of Tammuz. Secondly, the daily offerings in the first temple were suspended during the siege of Jerusalem in the 5th century before the Common Era. So um, from the time when the first temple was built by King Solomon up until that point, um, the daily offerings took place every single day. And the first time they stopped was the on the 17th of Tammuz when Jerusalem was sieged by Nebuchadnezzar by the Babylonians, which preceded the destruction of the first temple, which was three weeks later on Tisha B'Av. The third thing to happen on the 17th of Tammuz was that Jerusalem's walls were breached before the destruction of the second temple. So we see the 17th of Tammuz, the in, before the destruction of the first temple, the, uh, the daily offering stopped. The second temple before the destruction of the second temple, second temple in 70 of the common era was when the walls of Jerusalem were breached. And three weeks later, the temple was destroyed. Um, the fourth thing to happen on the Seventeen of Tammuz was that uh, prior to the great revolt, the Roman general Apostomus, he burned a Torah scroll on that, on this day, 17th of Tammuz. Um, which was a horrific precedent which would follow through the centuries of the burning of holy Jewish books and holy Jewish scrolls. And finally, fifth, an adulterous image 
was placed in the holy temple, which was a brazen act of blasphemy and desecration on the 17th of Tammuz. So the beginning of the three weeks of mourning started on Sunday, and we therefore find ourselves in a period where we observe customs of mourning. So at this time, there are no weddings. Uh, even though we're going through a pandemic and we're not having weddings anyway, not a good idea to have a wedding or any celebration. As we know, we all have to be very, very careful um, right now. But we wouldn't be having we weddings anyway at this time because it's the three weeks. We also don't listen to music. We don't listen to musical instruments and to music. You'll notice that the music that we're playing at this time on Chai FM um, during Soul to Soul and Chai FM is a cappella music. So there's no musical instruments. It's just from the mouth. Um, the sounds all come from, from a human mouth and not from an instrument. So there are some opinions that say that's okay during the three weeks. There are others that say even that's not okay. But uh, since it's a radio station, so we are lenient with that regard and uh, only play a cappella music. And also, um, there's no cutting hair and shaving at this time as well um, during the three weeks. So we've picked up these three customs of mourning. And as we get closer to Tisha B'Av, so the customs of mourning intensify. So from the, in particular, the nine days, which is next Shabbos, next Shabbos, the 10th of July, Shabbos Matos Masai, is Rosh Chodesh Av. And then we increase in the number of um, uh, mourning activities that we observe. We don't have meat or wine if it's not Shabbos. And we don't bathe for pleasure during the nine days. And we don't wear freshly laundered clothing. All our clothing has to be worn beforehand. So the the uh, so that's uh, it's interesting that the cycle of mourning that we follow in the three weeks actually resembles the cycle of mourning that uh, we observe if we lose a loved one. Um, so, but it's in the opposite direction. So when we lose a loved one, we first have our shiva, which is the seven days of mourning. Then we have shloshim, and then we have yud beis chodesh, and we have the twelve months. But the three weeks go the opposite direction. We start, so the 12 months of mourning, there's less, uh, customs of mourning we observe. And then the, the, which is the beginning of the three weeks. And then we have the nine days, which resemble Shloshim, which get more intense. And then we have Tishabab, which is like Shiva. On Tishabab, we are all mourners. We are all sitting Shiva. We are all observing the sadness of, of great trauma and, uh, uh, intense customs and practices of mourning on Tisha B'Av. So we started with Shiva Asabatamuz, we end with Tisha B'Av, and we pray to Hashem that we should not see suffering and hardship and calamity at this time, and on the contrary, we should see, see peace and health and good news and good tidings for the Jewish people. Today is the 20th of Tammuz, and today is, uh, I, I would be remiss not to mention, that today is the yacht site of Theodor Herzl. Herzl um, was a, uh, a a Jew from Austria, and Herzl he was a journalist. He was a secular Jew. He was not an observant Jew. He came from a secular family. He knew very little about traditional Judaism, um, but he witnessed. He he was one of the journalists that covered the Dreyfus trial in France in 1894. Um, and the Dreyfus trial was a, a very big eye-opener for world jury in general, but for Herzl in particular. And he saw how biased and anti-Semitic the French media were, the French journalists, and the whole French establishment. 
and they really set up Alfred Dreyfus. He was a officer in the French army, and they blamed their humiliating defeat against Germany upon Dreyfus. You know, there's always a, when when a nation suffers um, a situation of loss or of where they humiliated, they always look for scapegoats. And Dreyfus, the Jew, was the scapegoat of the French army, and the French media went along with it. And Herzl witnessed the unbelievable fabrication of this trial and the bias and the um, anti-Semitism that was present at the time. And he realized that there wasn't a future for Jews in France and there wasn't a future for Jews in exile. And the Jews needed to have their own land and have their own country. And he uh, had a vision which he promoted in his two books, The Jewish State and The Old New Land. Um which were, were really describing a homeland for the Jewish people. And he coined the phrase, if you will it, it is no dream, um, which became the motto of the Zionist movement. And during his career, and he, he established the World Zionist Organization, he never took a salary. All the expenses he, he, he paid out of his own pocket. He passed away penniless so it, uh, as a result of heart disease in the age of 44. In 1949, after the State of Israel was declared, so Herzl's remains were brought to Israel and reinterred on Mount Herzl in Jerusalem. And he was really the driving force to develop the Zionist movement and to, uh, he played a massive part in the return of the Jewish people to our ancient homeland, to the land of Israel. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. It's interesting that we mentioned today is the yacht side of Theodor Herzl. Uh, he died on this day, the 20th of Tammuz, 1904, a person who dedicated his life to the Jewish people returning to our beloved homeland, the land of Israel. And uh, Herzl's dream was fulfilled um, 44 years later when uh, the Jewish people – He uh, interesting, isn't it? He was 44 years old when he died, and 44 years after he died was when the state of Israel was declared and his dream was finally fulfilled. And that is – it's an interesting and ongoing discussion within the Jewish people. Um, throughout the ages, and particularly in the modern age – so there have been um, different viewpoints and different movements within the Jewish people that have said that if we assimilate, if we take on the ways of the non-Jews, if we integrate into the non-Jewish world and non-Jewish society, so that will bring an end to anti-Semitism. That will bring an end to the persecution of the Jewish people and the prejudice against the Jewish people. Um, but many have argued and said that is not the solution to our problems, the problem of anti-Semitism. And the more we attempt to assimilate, the more the non-Jews will show us that we are not the same as them and that we have a different mission in the world and we won't be accepted and integrated. And of course, the most obvious and glaring example of that is Nazi Germany. The Jewish um, population the Jewish community in Germany was the most assimilated Jewish community since the creation of the Jewish people. The reform Judaism began in Germany and the German Jews were very, very secular and 
were very much um, interested in integrating entirely and assimilating completely into German society. They were Germans before they were Jews. They were barely Jewish in any way, Jewish by birth maybe, but not in any other way. And we see what the result was of that. We see the consequence. We see the terrible um, situation that the Jews of Germany faced um, and how they certainly were not accepted and embraced, but on the contrary, were spat out by German society and were annihilated, were actually destroyed. The, the horrible and, and just unthinkable events of the Holocaust took place in the very place where the Jews were the most integrated and um, the most assimilated. And so the, the Torah view, the religious Jewish understanding of life, is that as Jews we have a unique role to play and we have a unique bond with the creator of the universe. We received the Torah at Mount Sinai. God took us out of Egypt and gave us his Torah. And we have a role to perform in this world. Our role is different to the role of the nations of the world. Our role is to bring light, morality, and spirituality into the world and to be a light unto the nations, to, or, to be an or legoyim. And the way we do that is by doing the mitzvahs, is by serving Hashem, is by being holy people in our everyday lives and reaching out to the divine, bringing eternity into our mundane physical lives. And that's what Jewish practice is all about. Observance of Torah mitzvahs is bringing into our daily living um, spirituality and holiness and fulfilling the will of God and God's mitzvahs in our physical being and our physical lives. Last week's Pasha was the fascinating episode of Bilam. Bilam was a non-Jewish prophet. He was a, a great prophet. Bilam had tremendous vision into um, the eternal world, into the world beyond time and space. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy, prophecy is a glimpse of the prophet into the eternal world and breaking out of the finite limitations of our physical world where we are bound by time and space. And Bilam was such an individual, he was given that vision, that prophecy, that gift, um, in order that the nations of the world would have a prophet of that level, and they couldn't have the time of the claim that if they had a prophet, uh, that's what Chazal tells us, they had the prophet of the caliber of Moshe, so they would also have been righteous. So Hashem gave them Bilam, and we see what happened with Bilam. So Bilam is approached by Balak. Balak is the king of uh, Midian, and he wants to, of Moab, sorry, he's the king of Moab, and he wants to, he knows the Jewish people are headed that way, the Jewish people are headed to the land that Hashem promised them. We're talking about 3,333 and, 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 um, years ago, and the Jewish people are now heading to the, a um, little bit less than 3,330 years ago, and the, Jew, the Jewish people are heading towards the land that Hashem has promised their ancestors that Abraham was in. And um, the king of Moab, Balak, is concerned that the Jews are going to destroy him and destroy, destroy his people. And therefore he, which the Jews do not intend on doing at all, they just want to get to their land and don't want to bother anybody else in the process. And uh, so he wants to preempt it, uh, Balak, and he employs Bilam to curse the Jewish people. For he knows that the strength and the success of the Jewish people comes from God. And that's how they've um, come out of Egypt, defeated the Egyptians, the great superpower of the time. 
And that's how they've survived miraculously in the desert. And now they are uh, headed towards the land. So he knows if they don't have spiritual merits, they don't have spiritual zuchuyos, so that's the only way he can destroy them. And so he employs the prophet, the wizard, Bilam, to curse them and to remove their spiritual merits and to remove their divine protection. Um, and we know today too, you know, without our connection to God, without our divine protection, we are very vulnerable as a people. And we will be, unfortunately, exposed to um, the dangers that are out there and the will of many of the nations of the world to destroy the Jewish people. It's only Hashem's uh, protection that keeps us alive. And we see that what great examples you need and what goes on in the Middle East where you've got millions and millions of Arabs, they want to destroy the Jewish people. They want to wipe us out. We see with Hamas firing thousands of rockets on our civilians, and given half the chance, they will wipe us out. Iran, given half the chance, will fire nuclear weapons on Israel, nuclear missiles. That's why it's imperative that we do all we can to prevent Iran from getting nuclear weapons. So that's the reality of the Jewish people, and it's only by the grace of God that we survive and exist. And we need to ensure that we have God's protection, that we have merits, spiritual merits that will deserve divine protection when we turn our backs on God when we turn our backs on our heritage and on our covenant with God, so then we're exposed so then we are left to um, the uh, nature running its course and that's when we really are in danger that's more dangerous than anything, and so Balak understood that, and he wants us to lose our spiritual merits and our spiritual protection and he gets Bilam to come curse the Jewish people. And Bilam says, after there's a give and take, and Balak offers him great glory and great riches, Bilam can't, can't refuse, and he goes, he says, I can only prophesize that which God lets me prophesize. But I'll do my best to try and curse the Jewish people. He chooses a time when God is angry, when there's Midas Adin, when there's judgment in the world. He knew that secret, Bilam. And so he tried to... Um, to uh, set things up in a way that all the odds were against the Jewish people and in order for him to succeed to curse the Jewish people. He doesn't succeed in cursing the Jewish people. Interestingly enough, God changes it in order to protect the Jewish people, changes that time to protect the Jewish people. I mean, there's a lot of mechanics that are going on over here in the way Kabbalistic uh, principles at play, in the way God runs the world, in the way God God's divine flow of blessing enters into this world, in a way of manipulating that in a negative way and accessing Midas Adin, God's attribute of judgment. So Bilam's playing with all of these variables and God changes the rules a little bit in order to protect the Jewish people. And Bilam doesn't succeed. Instead of cursing, so he blesses the Jewish people. And one of the blessings that Bilam says, a very Chaf Gimel Pasuk Tes, he says, Heim Am Levadad Yishkon, they are a nation that dwell alone, and amongst the nations of the world, they are not considered. So the Pasuk Pshat says, Rashi of this Pasuk, is that the Jewish people are different to the nations of the world, and when the retribution at the end of days comes, if the Jewish people were righteous, they won't face the same retribution as the nations of the world if they were not righteous. So Bilam sees that, he sees the uniqueness, he sees the potential, he sees the greatness of the Jewish people and that they're different from other nations and when divine retribution will come at the end of days, 
so the Jewish people will not be in the same place as all the other nations. That's the Pashup Shat of the Pasuk. But listen to this incredible interpretation of the Natsiv, Rav Naftali Yehuda Tzvi Berlin. And he, he was the, the great Rosh Yeshiva of the Velazhin Yeshiva, um, in Lithuania. And he was a man of tremendous genius, uh, one of the great leaders of Kal Yisrael, um, in the 19th century. And I, I actually was very fortunate to, um, to go to the grave of the Natsiv. He's buried in Warsaw. Um, he was ill and went to Warsaw for treatment and he passed away over there. So he was buried there and he's in the, the Warsaw Cemetery. Uh, he's buried next to Rab Chaim Soloveitchik. Um, Rab Chaim actually married his granddaughter and they were co-Russia yeshiva of the Velozhin yeshiva. And they're both buried next to each other in Warsaw. The Natsiv says in his, uh, in his Perush on the Torah, Emekadava, he says that we shouldn't read the Pasuk in the Pashat way. There's a drush of how to read this pasuk, how to read this verse. He says like this, Hain am levadad. When the Jewish people are alone, in other words, when the Jewish people are embracing their destiny, embracing their mission and their uniqueness and their responsibility to live up to the covenant that we have with God and bringing God's light into the world, living a life of holiness, of spirituality, of morality, as I described earlier, of bringing God's light into our daily mundane existence. When they are alone and are doing that as they are supposed to, Yishkon, so then the Jewish people will dwell in tranquility and the Jewish people will dwell in prosperity and the Jewish people will be left alone by the nations of the world. Vagoyim, but when the Jewish people are trying to assimilate and trying to integrate into the nations of the world, lo yitchashav, so then they won't be considered. That won't work out well for them. They won't be respected and regarded by the nations of the world. It's a, such a beautiful drush, such a beautiful interpretation of the Pasuk. And that is a important and consistent principle in Judaism. And, and our understanding as Torah Jews is that we need to live up to our covenant with God, to our commitment to serving God, to our co- dedication of bringing Torah and mitzvahs into this world, bringing God's presence into this world which is hard work, which is a constant battle and struggle, which requires us choosing our soul over our body and having self-control. But when we're doing that and doing the mitzvahs and, and fulfilling what God wants of us, so then we'll dwell. We're separate from the nations and we'll dwell. We'll yishkon. But when we turn our backs on our covenants and when we just try to be like the nations of the world and we dress like the nations of the world and we speak like the nations of the world and we act like the nations of the world, and our aspirations and goals and um, yearning is in the same as the nations of the world. So then, uvagoyim, when we integrating with the goyim, lo yitchashav. So then we won't be considered, then it won't be good for Israel. And we've seen throughout the history of the Jewish people how often this interpretation of the nativ has come into being and has been so clear and so obvious for us that when the Jews try to integrate, so the Jews. Um, End up, um, it ends up being a very negative result for Klal Yisrael. And, and, and that manifests in different ways. Obviously, the most horrific is when it's genocide, like we saw with the Holocaust, or many other instances of persecution against the Jewish people in Europe throughout the ages. And sometimes it ends up in the Jewish people disappearing. We see the, the rate of, of intermarriage within, um, 
Western society is absolutely massive. It's over 60%. So when we are trying to integrate with the non-Jews and be like the non-Jews, and we end up um, totally disappearing, we, we, we are... We won't exist anymore. We will be diluted and be integrated and be no more the Jewish people. So that manifests in different ways, as we've seen in, see very clearly in, in this last century. But, uh, the, the lesson is powerful and clear is to fulfill our mission and our goal. And that's when we'll have tranquility and that's when we'll be respected as well by the nations of the world. So I want to continue and, to, and share with you another beautiful, beautiful idea. Um, which comes from this week's parsha, Parsha's Pinchas. Um, we see at the end of, of Parsha's Balak. So Balak, uh, uh, Bilam is not successful and Balak is very unhappy that he hasn't cursed the Jewish people. Bilam says, you know what? I'll leave you one last piece of information of, um, a very important, um, piece of intelligence that is a secret that will be very effective in destroying the Jewish people, and the, which is your goal, right? And that is that their weakness is nus, is sexual immorality. And if you tempt them in a way where they will um, go after the daughters of Moab and of Midian, so that will, that will be a cause for them to lose their spiritual merits. That will, we, you've asked me to curse them, and so God there will be a, a, a negative spiritual energy amongst the Jewish people and God's merit and protection won't be there. So the other way to achieve that goal, I wasn't successful in cursing, the other way to achieve that goal is when they involved in znus, in sexual immorality. So bring on the daughters of Moab and you'll see that is the Achilles heel of the Jewish people. And that's exactly what Balak does. And the daughters of Moab seduce the Jewish people and tell them that, that they tell the Jewish men that if you want us, you have to bow down to our Barazor, to our to our other uh, worship, and the Jewish men couldn't resist and did so. And as a result, there was a ter- tremendous calamity and plague within the Jewish people, and we lost divine protection. And then we have this um, unbelievable incident with Pinchas. So please stay with us. We'll discuss it in a moment after this break. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. We're discussing the weakness of the Jewish people with regards to the beautiful woman of, of Midian. And the, that advice was taken from um, Balak. He received the advice from Bilam. He told Balak, and they set up this whole elaborate scheme to tempt the Jewish men to um, succumb to the woman of Midian. And it was successful in a large degree. Many of the Jewish men could not resist. And as I mentioned, they were told to worship their false gods, the Avodah and then they could take the woman, and they couldn't resist the temptation. And one such individual was the head of the tribe of of Shimon. His name was Zimri. He was a very prominent Jew. He was one of the leaders within the Jewish people. And he um, fell for this as well. And he took a non-Jewish woman. Her name was Kazbi. She also was a prominent woman. She was a princess. And in the presence of the people, he was with this woman. And Pinchas saw this terrible outrage. The Pasuk says, 
the Yar Pinchas ben Eloza ben Arna Cohen, Pinchas saw this, the Yakam Mitocha Eda, the Yikah Roimach Bayado. He stood up from amongst the Eda, the community, and he took a Roimach, a spear in his hand, and he, he killed them. And uh, that was the halacha, that somebody who does such a thing in presence, in public, so a kana poigim boy, so somebody who's defending Hashem's presence, he will, must um, end that terrible outrage, which is exactly what Pinchas did. Now there's an amazing, amazing diuk, amazing uh, inference that sages make from this verse. It says, He stood from within the community. In other words, everybody was watching this. And everybody knew it was an outrage, but nobody did anything. And they, you know, thought, why should I stand up? Why do I need to be the one who, who puts myself out over here, puts my head on the block? You know, they'll come after me if I do something. Let's see what happens. Let's see where things go. Let's see how things materialize. And Pinchas, he was so outraged and he was so, um, Willing to defend the covered of Hashem, covered Shemaim, that he wouldn't tolerate such a thing. And he wasn't frightened about the consequences, what would happen to him. And that he knew that they would come after him. And we see that they say, who are you? How, who are you to stand up to one of the leaders of, of Klal Yisrael? And they, you know, said, where do you come from? Your grandfather was Yisrael, who was a, an idol worshiper himself. So what gives you the right to do this? He knew he, that, that that would come after him, but that didn't matter. He did it 100% L'Shem Shemaim. And what was the consequence of that? There was a plague. There was a plague when when this transgression took place within the Jewish world. There was a plague that killed thousands of people. And the plague only stopped after Pinchas' actions. And Hashem says, Pinchas was Heishiv Eschamasi. He, uh, he restored, he held back my anger. Whatever that means. It means that there would have been retribution against the Jewish people. And the, it would have been a terrible, terrible situation. And it says that Pinchas was blessed with Brisi Shel Shalom. He was given the Bris, the covenant of peace. And the Sforno says that what's the covenant of peace? The covenant of peace with the Malach Amavis. That Pinchas, he was, he was reincarnated as Eliyahu, Eliyahu Lomes. So he lived forever. So we see Pinchas... His act was was something of tremendous bravery, but something of tremendous courage. And the Chazal tells the Pasuk says that he stood from within the Ada. The Ada means from the community. Everybody was watching and nobody was doing anything. And he stepped out of whatever of everybody else. He went against the trend. He went against what everybody else was doing to stand up for what was right. And that's an example for us for all the ages. To remember that that's what Hashem appreciates. Hashem appreciates us having the courage to do what's right, even if it means stepping out of our comfort zone, and even if it means stepping out of what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is saying, what everybody else is, um, is, is how everybody else is living their lives. That really is a sterling example for a Jew in this world. We live in a world where the world's gone a bit nuts, gone a bit crazy. The world's really lost <laughs> its sensibility and its understanding of norm, of morality, of uh, gender. You know, people have gender crisis and identity, um, of the value of uh, of a marriage, 
and of a home and of building a solid home and bringing up children in a stable, uh, loving environment. All of the great values of the Judeo-Christian Christian society have been attacked and destroyed in our modern world. And to be able to stand strong and to be able to go against the flow and to do what's right and to understand that there must be a God, to su- suggest there's not a God. This world is all random and accidental and there's no morals and values from a objective eternal source from the creator of the universe that doesn't make any sense really doesn't so much more logical and there's so much more evidence supporting the fact that there's a creator created this magnificent intricate world and we need to all be strong and stand up to the norms and the political correctness of society and do what's right and live a life that connects to the creator and that brings the light of eternity into this world and brings the light of God into all of humanity. That's exactly what Pinchas did. Pinchas had the courage, he had the fortitude, he had the the understanding, clarity, he did what was right, and that was something that brought tremendous light and blessing and saving in the world and for eternity. It brought eternity to the world, to, to him and his family into the world. And if we do that ourselves, and if we are strong and we go against the norms of um, the society, the woke liberal society we see around us, and we remain true to our values and to our beliefs as Jews, and we live according to the covenant of God and according to the holy mitzvahs that God wants us to perform, and we live a life of morality and spirituality and beauty and, and, and virtue, so like Pinchas, we'll be blessed with eternity. And we and our descendants after us will be blessed with eternity. So that's a great example, a very powerful lesson, and something that we should all think about and try and integrate. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM. off with one more example of how the Torah wants us to stand strong and if necessary go against the flow and go against what everybody else is saying we've already brought one example that was with Pinchas Pinchas the people watched and it says that he he stood up amongst the Ada amongst the community and did what was correct and did what was right and we see a similar kind of principle with regards to the appointment of Yehoshua of Joshua as the successor of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Jewish people are now about to enter into the land. Moshe is not able to lead them in the land. He's about to die. And he realizes that it's time to appoint a successor. And he says to Hashem, um, I would like my children to take over the mantle of leadership of the Jewish people. And uh, Rashi, in this week's Pasha, um, in the Pasuk Tes Zion, Perikhafzain, the Rashi of Yifkot Hashem, it says an amazing thing. Hashem says to him, that's not lo kach alsa b'machshavash lefanai. Hashem says to Moshe, that's not what my thinking was, that your children should take over. Yoshua is the one who's going to take over the mantle of leadership. 
Yoshua is going to be the one, your student Yoshua is going to be the one who will lead the Jewish people into the land. It's really an amazing thing because the Midrash in Mishlei tells us that Yoshua up until that point wasn't very respected within the Jewish people. Yes, he was a Talmud of Moshe and yes, he he did everything for Moshe and he was very loyal to his Rebbe. But he was seen as a little bit of, maybe we would say in our modern terms, a little bit of a goody two-shoes of the one who was, you know, always doing the right thing at the right time. He wasn't necessarily the most popular. Uh, it says that uh, Yoshua was the one who was Masad al-Safsalim. He made sure that all the benches were in place in order for the shiur, the class, or for davening to begin. He put the cushions on the tables. He wasn't the one that everybody went to to say, what did Moshe say? And how do we understand what Moshe means? And um, give us a, 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 a eloquent description of what Moshe's idea was. He wasn't that powerful, eloquent, outgoing leader. Rather, the qualities of Yoshua were humility. He was humble. He was genuine. He was sincere. He was committed. He was um, a person who cared deeply for Claudia. So we see the values of society and the values of what we think is great is not necessarily the same as what Hashem thinks is great. It's not the same as what Hashem looks up to and Hashem identifies as being the values of a great person and of a great leader. And that's what the Pasuk says that why is it you're sure? Why is he the one who will take over? So the pasuk is very much similar to Moshe. Pasuk Yudches, Kach Lecha Es Yoshua Binun Ish Asher Ruach Bo Basamachta Es Yadacha Alav. Take Yoshua, the person who has my spirit is with him. So what does it mean? Rashi says Asher Ruach Bo Kasher Shalta Sheyuchal Laaloch Kenegad Ruchos Shakol Echad Beechad. That Yoshua had the ability to see the needs of each individual. Yoshua cared about each person. And cared about their needs and was patient and was kind and was committed to the needs of Klai Yisrael. That was the mark of a great leader. So that's a very powerful and second example as to what we might think is, you know, a, a, a sign of greatness and of leadership and of, and of uh, a, a impressive person is not that, not necessarily the way Hashem sees it. And Hashem tells us through Yoshua that the real attributes of kindness, of humility, of sincerity, of being genuine, of caring about others, of empathy, and of sensitivity, these are the values that Hashem is looking for. And these are the values that we should all try and emphasize within our lives, within our personalities, and within the lives of our children. We should try and educate our children that these are the virtues and these are the qualities that we should be working on. And it's contrary to Western society. Western society is the person who's the most powerful, who's the most good looking, who's the most dominant and the loudest voice in the room and the person who is the center of the party. So these are the ones that we look up to and that are, we are impressed with. But uh, we see from here that Hashem is looking for the real inner qualities that make a person great. And that raise a person to spiritual greatness and to holiness. So let's remember, like Pinchas, that we need to go against the flow 
in order to do what's right. And we need to find the right qualities that we should pursue in our lives in order to achieve our greatness and our true potential. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.